Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Every once in a while, we gotta f*** the religious people. There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where you can stuff your face. Shut up. Quit pointing out the problem. Men will be proud, arrogant, abusive. You watch some of today's rock star pastors and you will see every characteristic Paul listed played out in vivid detail on the church stage. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Be careful before you point that finger. This is Wretched Radio. The Southern Baptist Convention is on in New Orleans and Pastor Rick Warren is marshalling a bit of an ass- No, it's a full frontal assault on the Southern Baptist Convention, specifically the Baptist faith and message of a 2000, encouraging Southern Baptists to not be so uptight about the role of women in the church. Rick Warren is very concerned about the SBC, and if they don't change their tune to be a little bit more accepting, you can look for nothing but a crash and burn of the SBC. Quote, I'm deeply concerned about our denomination, 17 years of decline and the loss of a half a million members just last year. No denomination can sustain that kind of loss. The the question is, why is the SBC experiencing that kind of shrinkage? I've had the privilege for 43 years of training 1.1 million pastors. Pause. There it is. That... Sorry, friends, that's more than all the seminaries put together. Why the Southern Baptist Convention is experiencing a decrease in numbers is a debate for another day, but we do well to study a very clever man's argument against complementarianism. Rick Warren, by all accounts, is not stupid. He's well-read, he's a smart man, and he's a very clever fellow. Let's understand his arguments because it is almost certain if you're a Southern Baptist, you go to a Southern Baptist church, you are going to be on the receiving end of Rick Warren's arguments to change who mounts the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Let's study from a letter that he sent out to Southern Baptist pastors before the convention, and he has been very busy in Twitter land defending his egalitarian position and uh, telling Southern Baptists, hey, we agree on so much. Are we really going to pick a nit over this issue? And the answer is yes. For multiple reasons, let's understand his argument. Quote, from the start, our unity has always been based on a common mission, not a common confession. And that is what he goes on to repeat over Again, one more time, and just for kicks, he restates it. Being a Southern Baptist is not about a creed or a confession. It's about consensus. We generally agree. How would you argue with Pastor Warren? I think uh, the response is found in the preposition, the preposition, the pronoun, our When he writes from the start, our unity has always been based on a common mission, not a common confession. Who's our? The answer is Baptists. And that is a moniker that is creedal. Calling yourself any denomination is a theological statement. You can't say that you're a Lutheran and reject all of the teachings of Luther. You can't say that you are a Methodist and not concern yourself with holiness. You can't call yourself an Episcopalian 
without being completely apostate. I mean, you can't call yourself an Episcopalian if you don't adhere to Episcopalian dogma. And so it is with Baptists. You call yourself a Baptist, you're making a confessional statement. And that is how I would respond to Pastor Warren. Certainly, there must be some sort of theological agreement that one must have in order to be a Baptist. Can we disagree about immersion, sprinkling, or pouring? Yeah. But can we redefine what it means to be a Baptist and still be considered a Baptist? If I said to you, hey, I'm a Baptist, and this Sunday we are going to walk around the sanctuary with little tup, little jello pudding cups, and we're going to use plastic spoons, we're going to put jello pudding inside of the plastic spoon and then flop it right at people's face. That's baptism. All right. Ridiculous, granted. But at some point, you would say baptism requires water. It requires conversion, certainly. There are things necessary to be call, to be calling yourself a Baptist. You are automatically making a confessional statement. He wants to change the Baptist faith and message because this just isn't something that Baptists should be doing. My question would be, what else would he like to change from the 2000 Baptist faith and message? You've got the scriptures, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We, we don't want to change that, do we? Salvation, God's purpose of grace, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's, it, we, all of these things are now up for grabs because Baptists have never been about a confession that is on its face false. Baptists have always been about a confession. And this always gets dicey. Studying history is always tricky. Why didn't the Baptists have a specific confession for decades? And the answer is there were no debates. We all were pretty much on the same page with things. And nobody was arguing that women should be in the pulpit and have the mantle of pastor of a local church. Nobody was debating that. But society was changing. And society was starting to suggest that the Christian church get with the times. And that's when we started to see the slide of the mainline Protestant denominations. And so in 2000, when the Baptists got together for their convention, they said, we need to make some amendments, which they'd been doing for a long time. If you will, this is a comparison chart. From 1925, this is the Baptist faith and message. Regarding the church, quote, a church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers. Okay, can we change that? Can we, is that some, hey, we shouldn't be so creedal and confessional? Associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the ordinances of Christ. I'm sorry to belabor this, but if I said, no, 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 don't worry about Lord's Supper, don't worry about baptism, no big deal, I'm a Baptist. You'd go, well, hold on, that's... That's not what Baptists believe. Now, here it comes. Governed by his laws. Whose laws? The laws of Christ. That's an all-encompassing statement. If you were a Southern Baptist in 1924, before this was written, and you came along and said, you know, Jesus said that you need to believe in him, but I don't think we should be so confessional or creedal. You would have been booted. 
It was written down that governed by his laws, including roles in the churches, is what makes one a church of Christ, not of Latter-day Saints. 1963, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus is a local body of baptized believers who are associated by covenant in the faith and the fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ. Now, why did they have to add two? Because there were some people who were saying, hey, what about committed to his teachings, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. There it is again, committed to his teachings. The church is an autonomous body operating through democratic processes. That's one where Baptists do disagree under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In such a congregation, members are equally responsible Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. Now, what if somebody came along in 1962, the year before this was written, and said, actually, I think that scriptural offices are pastors, deacons, and a grand poobah. Well, no, no. What what do you mean a grand poobah? Maybe we better write this down so there's no confusion and we keep bad theology out. 2000. They basically repeat the same thing that they did in 1925, 1963, but then they added this. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. Why did they add that? Why was that necessary? Why didn't they put this in in 1925? Because 100 years ago, it wasn't an issue. But 23 years ago, it was. And it is. And history is replete with denominations that have bitten the dust because they took a left-hand turn and became egalitarian. It was a threat 23 years ago. And that was, by the way, that was recognized. If you go back to, say, 2015, which Rick Warren references, although I have to confess I'm not exactly sure why, More on that in a bit. Steve Gaines was the chairman of the SBC Committee on Resolutions. There were a number of culturally divisive issues. And so they made resolutions that were voted on with almost no opposition. Quote, there are so many pressing issues morally and spiritually in our nation right now. We had to do something. And so they dealt with issues like racial reconciliation, and the issue about pornography, abortion. Why? Because they were issues. Why didn't they have an abortion resolution in 1925 or 63? Because it really wasn't a danger. But when it became one, they resolved, this is where we stand. And Rick Warren is trying to go back in time and say, yeah, that one line right there that includes that three-letter word, M-E-N, that's gotta go. Is he correct? And second, is he maybe on to something about the SBC? Next on Wretched Radio. So you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. 
then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are incredibly grateful for your support, but we also need your help so we can continue spreading the message. That's why I'm asking you to prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Because when you become a gospel partner, you're a part of a community of believers who are passionate about sharing and reaching millions of people with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And your support as a gospel partner will enable us to continue producing culturally compelling, biblically sound, and gospel Centered productions like Wretched, Road Trip to Truth, and Transformed. Our goal since day one, as you know, has been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. But we can't do that without you. So would you please take some time to prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321 to get all the information you would ever need. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Books of the Bible. The book of Joshua tells of the conquest and division of the promised land. There are two consistent themes in Joshua, God's faithfulness and his aversion to unfaithfulness. When you wonder how committed God is to his people or doubt the seriousness of idolatry, let Joshua remind you that your God is a jealous God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Time will tell if Pastor Rick Warren is right. This is Wretched Radio, the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a big deal. It is this (laughs) every election. This is the most important election of our time. I got to tell you, this might be the most important Southern Baptist Convention of our time until next year. Because Pastor Rick Warren, as he is quick to remind everybody, has been amazingly impactful in the Southern Baptist Convention and in churches around the world. He's more than happy to cite his credentials and then make the case the SBC is wrong. 
when it comes to the role of women in the church, we have to allow for disagreement. Complementarians and egalitarians can get along just fine as long as we have one cause that we agree on. Well, if we're going to go down that slippery slope, why do we even have to agree on that cause? And I think that's the flaw in his argument. He states Southern Baptists have never been creedal or confessional. They just work in cooperation with one another. But that argument, I think, is quickly dismantled when we understand that anytime you talk about God, you're making a theological statement. Anytime you slap a label on yourself, you're making a theological statement. Imagine a Calvinist who says, not a fan of John Calvin, the whole tulip thing. I prefer roses. You'd say, well, then you're not a Calvinist. There, there are just certain things that come with the moniker. And so it is with Baptists. One of the questions that is going to potentially be answered at the Southern Baptist Convention is, can a convention endure? Can a convention endure? What is the SBC? It is a group of autonomous churches. They do have a statement of faith. It is the Baptist faith and message. It is very creedal. I'm sorry. When you've got a statement of faith that begins with the scriptures, deals with the Trinity, gets into anthropology, salvation, God's purpose of grace, that's a creedal statement. And we're not going to throw out the entire baby with the bathwater of egalitarianism. Nevertheless, it does raise a question. Can a group of 47,000 churches really be in convention together when there is a disparity of non-essential beliefs? Uh, inside of a church, Let's. it's always good to go from big to small to see the impact of trying to force agreement where there isn't agreement, to make people cooperate when we are not in agreement with one another. For instance, can a bunch of Presbyterians be members of a Baptist church? Uh, well, it's gonna be really problematic. It's just It just doesn't quite work. Why? Well, what are you gonna do with the kids? What about the person who was baptized as a kid, but now they're an adult and they have faith and they wanna get baptized again? It becomes very difficult, and so it is on the national stage. The Southern Baptist Convention has been able to pull it off for almost a century and a half. But the times, they are changing, and the pressure is on, specifically by Pastor Rick Warren, to lighten up a little bit on some of the secondary issues, which, by the way, I think we do well to make the case that the role of women in the church, while not being a historically understood essential issue, that doesn't mean it is either relegated to the heap of no problem, because it is a problem. It's always good to use an extreme to compare. What is a church doing if they are installing women as pastors? Well, that church is sinning. And if the leadership is leading that, then you've got elders who are sinning. And so you've got a church body that is living in unrepentant sin. What do we do with those people inside of our own church? Well, ultimately, you call them to repentance. And if they refuse, then they are set outside. And nobody would say, well, sure, the guy is looking at pornography and beating his wife, but it's a secondary issue. You'd go, well, 
Yeah, yeah, sure. I yeah, it's 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 not like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, sola scriptura. It's not. It's, it's not that. But it's not nothing. And when somebody and when a church is living in unrepentant sin, not a disagreement in some secondary doctrinal issues, they're living in sin. That is more than problematic. That is worthy of division and separation. If it were a different issue, would the the Southern Baptist Convention, they're a pro-abort church. Can you imagine a pastor getting up and saying, hey, I've trained millions of pastors and uh, they're, they're pro-choice and we should be too. You'd go, hold it. Hold on. A church that is pro-choice is very problematic. You could hear somebody from the bleachers yell, but it's not an essential issue. Correct. It's not. But something is horribly wrong. It's a sin issue. And so it is with the role of women in the church. And Pastor Warren is going to put the concept of convention to the test as he presses on this issue. Consider the Gospel Coalition. Consider, maybe even better, Together for the Gospel. These were coalitions. These were conventions, if you will. After all, it's called the Gospel Coalition, not the Gospel Denomination. Together for the gospel, not creedal specifically on every single issue for the gospel. But hey, we're the, if it's the guy, if we're sound on the gospel, then we're in fellowship. Well, together for the gospel is no more. And I think, and this is an observation. It's I, I, I honestly I didn't study the history of its demise, but I think it's fair to ask: Is it because there wasn't a a doctrinal statement that was indeed specific. Can you cooperate in a local church when there are disparities in doctrines? And the answer is depends. Depends on what it is. Now, role of women. Can a local church have varying opinions on the subject? I don't think so. Because somebody's going to be screaming, what is a woman doing up there? The other side of the aisle is going to be screaming, and it would be the left side of the aisle. The other side is going to be screaming, why isn't there a woman up there? How's the potluck going to go? You're not going to be able to cooperate. And so one wonders if a convention, a coalition, being together without having every box checked theologically to state, hey, look, here's where we stand. You're either in or you're out. Time will tell. But we do well to study the arguments of Pastor Warren because he's trying to argue it's time for a particular statement inside of the Baptist faith and message to go. And that was a statement that was added because of the assault of a particular social issue at the time, the role of women. It's still an issue, clearly, clearly. This is exactly what they were thinking about in the year 2000. Somebody's going to come along and try to overturn our understanding of offices. And their their concern, it's manifested itself in the person of Rick Warren, arguing that the SBC, the current ruling of the executive committee, will open a Pandora's box of unintended consequences unless we reject it. That's his next argument, that if we don't change our tune, stop picking nits over issues like the role of women in the church, then the SBC is going right down the tubes. Can he make that prediction? 
there could be an argument that just the opposite is more likely to be true. In fact, even current statistical data tells us that churches that are going liberal are losing members. Those who are sound and who are not apologizing for what the Bible teaches, they're growing or at least maintaining. I think the case could be made far more convincingly that if the SBC does become egalitarian or accepting of egalitarianism, that could be the jumping onto the slippery slope that takes them into apostasy. As we have seen with, we can list the denominations, can't we? we, we we've, we've seen this play before, haven't we? Why would we want to think that we can, well, we'll just direct it a little differently, and this play will cause a standing ovation? It's not going to. It's going to cause difficulty. This is going to trickle down. How can a local church be both complementarian and egalitarian? How can a church believe in pedo or believer's baptism? Well, uh, you can have those disagreements, but you're not going to be able to cooperate, which is why the Southern Baptist Convention, they, they won't do this, but fundamentally perhaps do need to make a decision. Are we going to remain a convention? Or are we just going to state it? This is a denomination. And here's where we're at. And you either sign on or you don't join. Which, by the way, that is the concept of the convention. Here it is. These are our beliefs. If you disagree, you got to keep that mum. You can't go to war. Otherwise, you can't be a part of it. Because there must be some sort of a confessional statement. The only question is, how robust will it be after the Southern Baptist Convention 2023 in New Orleans is all done? Time will tell. And if you find this subject matter disinteresting, oh, it's going to get interesting and very personal when it starts trickling or flooding into your local Southern Baptist church. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Starting with some uplifting news, if you can believe it, a recent study reveals that Christians who heavily engage with the Bible flourish in every domain. Now, that doesn't mean the Bible's going to help you ace that quantum physics exam, but the correlation is pretty strong. Well, it's another stride for religious liberty. A preacher's charges of disorderly conduct have been dropped. The case was recently dismissed after the preacher had been accused of, get this, causing a disruption while sharing the gospel in public. Imagine that. A preacher that preaches. Hmm. Well, at least the First Amendment still means something at the moment. Well, we switched gears just a bit where it seems the White House appears to have flubbed flag etiquette. Reports coming in say that the pride flag has been flown in a more prominent position than Old Glory. Now, I'm not an expert in these things or anything, but the last time I checked, the American flag wasn't supposed to play second fiddle to anything on American soil. Even the pride flag during Pride Month, you know, the month formerly known as June 
And now to a distressing account from Pakistan where an Islamist mob savagely beat a grocer with planks of wood. According to the article, the man was targeted solely because of his Christian faith. And it's a sad reminder that freedom of religion is not a global standard. Please continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. And speaking of life and its value, Planned Parenthood released their annual report. Hold on to your hats because the numbers, well, last year, the organization ended the lives of nearly 375,000 unborn babies. And cherry on top of that, they received $670 million of your taxpayer dollars in order to make it happen. And while we're on the subject, a committee in Maine has recently passed a bill to legalize abortions up to birth. The executive director for Maine Right to Life says that Maine Governor Janet Mills, a pro-abortion Democrat, is returning a favor to Planned Parenthood because the organization spent millions buying elections throughout the state of Maine. And that's been our latest news break. More Wretched Radio straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 325 AD. The Council of Nicaea was called to address debates perplexing the church, primarily concerning the nature of Jesus. The Nicene Creed was drafted and is still one of the standards of orthodoxy among Christians. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. What difference does a word make? A lot. This is Wretched Radio. Pastor Rick Warren has been busy a-twittering, trying to persuade his fellow Southern Baptist pastors to accept, not change their tune, but accept egalitarianism. Sure, go ahead, be complimentarian if you want to. But embrace those of us who are egalitarian, specifically who desire to see a woman occupy the office of elder. A Saddleback Church, of course, has been doing that. Installing women as pastors with varying adjectives slapped in front of it as if that makes a difference. You can be a tall doctor or a short doctor, but you're still a doctor. You can be an associate pastor, a senior pastor, you're still a Pastor, and according to Paul, 1 Timothy 2.12, and a number of other verses, not to mention the entire tenor of the Bible, reserve that office for one three-letter word to which Rick Warren objects. M-E-N. Let me take you to a tweet uh, that he uh, wrote in in an effort to try to persuade those that would say, hey, you're kind of undermining something really big here. He would say, hey, it's just one word. Chill out. Quote, the SBC Constitution was changed in 2015. Now churches must be, quote, closely identified with our confession, not completely. Our Baptist faith and message 2000 is 4,032 words. We disagree with only one word. Men. We're in 99.9999% in agreement. Is that close enough? All caps. I do like a little sarcasm. I, I actually appreciate that, but I do not appreciate the argument that says it's just a word. It's just the... Real, we agree with so much. Can't we disagree about so little? And the answer is it depends on what that word is. Do you know that we have been fighting over words for a long time? Inside of the Christian church, here's the Baptist faith and message. 
let me just remove a word, and I'm sure you're going to be fine with it. The Holy Bible is divinely inspired and is God's revelation to him, of himself to man. Let's just take out the word inspired, if you don't mind. Let's just say that it's God's word to man. We don't need the whole, ins- it's just a word. You'd say, hold on, that's a problem. Let's go to theology proper. There is one and only one living and true God. The word living, let's just lose it. It's just a word. Even shorter is the word all. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He extends his perfect knowledge to all things. Let's just lose the word all. Look at look at how much we agree on. And you'd say, hold on, clever. But it depends on what the word is. Jesus is the eternal son of God. Lose the word eternal. The Holy Spirit is fully divine. Now just make him divine. Not fully divine, divine. And you'd say, hold on, you are now altering essential theology. A word is important, and a word is important if it causes a church to live in perpetual unrepentant sin, which is precisely the issue at hand. It's also a bibliology issue. The Bible is so clear. It really is. It's interesting. Rick Warren said that he really studied hard. That, for instance, quote, this is what he twittered out when he was apologizing to women for his attitude toward women in the role of pastor. I read over 70 commentaries by inerrantist scholars that blew apart my comfortable, traditional and cultural based interpretation. He doesn't list who they are. 70 commentaries, 70 commentaries. So here's where commentaries can be a bit of an Achilles heel. You can marshal the commentaries that you want to support your beliefs. This really is a hermeneutical issue, way more than it is a commentary issue. I read over 100 books on the early church and the history of the Great Commission. Now, he doesn't explain his his argument. Perhaps he will in extended form someday. But let's take a look at the early church. Did they argue over words? No, they argued over letters. I'm not kidding. Did you know there's a heretical difference between homo ousius and homoousius? What in the world is that about? It was an early church argument. Is Jesus the same homo ousius, the same substance as the Father, or is he homoi, similar substance? The early church said, you add that Yoda, you add that I into it, you're out. He's not similar. He's the same. They thought that was an issue of uttermost importance, a letter. And Rick Warren is going to tell us it's just a word. Now, I understand where this gets a little bit messy because the role of women in and of itself is not an essential issue. It most certainly is an issue of cooperation, especially in the context of a local church, but it is a sin issue. We debated these words. You know, the reformers, um, imputed versus infused, just a word, but it's a big word. It means a lot. And so does the word man. Why? Because, well, why? Hopefully we still believe that there are two genders and God, for the sake of order, said that office is going to be held by that gender, period. And to remove that word is to just simply deny what God has clearly stated. That's what is at stake here. This, this, would, this would be like, 
okay, this is not, not great, but I'll give it a run. This would be like Jesus teaching that Jesus, he didn't take two loaves and turn it into a big old bakery. He actually, uh, they were, the loaves were that turned into uh, bagels. You, well, no, we don't. No. Okay, not a great illustration for you. All right, the fish were actually turned into steak. Well, no, that's better. That's not what it says. It says fish. Multiplied the fish. Didn't turn the fish. Look, it's just a word. Salmon, steak. They're both outrageously expensive. It depends on the word. Imputed righteousness means that your righteousness is external and it's credited to you, infused as the Roman Catholic theology, which says you're given an injection of righteousness at your baptism and you better maintain it or good luck. Have fun spending a lot of time in purgatory. What about the difference between person and manifestation? It's just a word. T.D. Jakes got away with this at that elephant conference. What was uh, the elephant room? I think that's what they called it years ago. James McDonald, Mark Driscoll, hmm. they gave him a total pass. They were there to ask him about his modalist beliefs. And he literally said, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Trinitarian, but I prefer the word manifestations instead of persons. Well, then you're not a Trinitarian in the historical sense. Words make a difference. Pastor Warren, to use that as an argument to suggest this ain't no big whoop, the, um, it is a big whoop. Now, this is this is outside of the biblical reasons, but historically we know the implications of changing from complementarian to egalitarian. We is the Southern Baptist Convention really going to be the exception when it opens up Pandora's box? Which, by the way, Rick Warren said the convention is doing if it insists that women are not installed as elders. They're going to open up Pandora's box. Historically, we have seen just the opposite. As long as I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers the 2000 Baptist faith and a message, perhaps, maybe, possibly, a little updating might be needed with Article 15. You say, what's Article 15? It's the Christian and the social order. Why did the Southern Baptists add the word men to the 2000 Statement of Faith when it came to the office of elder? It is because egalitarianism was an imminent danger, and they knew it. And just like a church today changes and updates their statements of faith to deal with societal pressures, these days the issue is marriage and genders, Society dictates that, hey, we better shore this up and we better make this clear. And so it is with their statement on the Christian and the social order. All Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. What does that mean? The reason I suggest this maybe needs some clarifying, even though I believe the document is clear enough, it might need a little bolstering up. Throughout the document, it is about regeneration. It is about people getting saved. The next sentence, means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. Boom. You want to make the culture better? 
preach the gospel. But every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. That could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. That could mean preach the gospel. That could mean preach prophetically. That could mean we need to take over those institutions and demand they act with Christian morality. In other words, it might be time for the Southern Baptist Convention to take a look at Article 15, not because I think that they've changed their tune, but to clarify a new understanding of the issue maybe next year. This is Wretched Radio. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at preborn centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, I have some news I'm about to share with you that quite possibly could knock you off your feet. We're blowing the doors completely off the Wretched Store. June 12th through the 18th, it is a discount galore. 20% off all books in the Wretched Store. It's like getting every fifth page for free. We're also slashing 33% off all of our video and audio resources, the physical ones that you hold in your hands. But wait, there's more. A jaw-dropping, eye-popping, crazy 50% off all things digital and streaming. And we haven't forgot about our gospel booklets. They are getting their prices trimmed too. Also, if your order tips the scales at $50 or more, we're going to throw in a free streaming of Road Trip to Truth Season 3. Folks, this sale is so big that it has its own zip code. It's the biggest sale we've ever had. It's even bigger than the time we ordered too many books and Todd almost had a panic attack. Make sure you take advantage of it June 12th through 18th at Wretched.org. That's the Wretched store at Wretched.org. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Club's ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. 
Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century. He was a champion of the Church's fight against Arianism and was a chief author of the Nicene Creed. However, his orthodoxy did not equal popularity. Athanasius was exiled no less than five times, but Athanasius chose to honor God instead of man. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. The Catholicism is a difficult issue because so many people have been looking at you for so long. You okay, Todd? You going to interrupt me or am I going to have to <laughs> was, carry on like this all day? I was wondering what was happening. You know, I'm trying to speak out of both sides of my mouth. Oh, that's it's not easy. exactly easy, or at least that's what someone might accuse me of. This is Wretched Radio, plagiarism. It's been a pastor's sport now for decades. Due to the internet, pastors can go online and rip off a sermon from another preacher and present it as their own material. But alas, or a lad, if you still identify with a gender, plagiarism has been going on long before the internet, you may recall. Charles Spurgeon, sitting in a church, heard a guy preach his sermon. Now, in that instance, Spurgeon gave it a thumbs up because the guy was called in last minute, wasn't trained to preach, and so he delivered a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon went, yeah, that's acceptable. And a pastor who is just fresh out of Sam, he's just learned homiletics and probably hermeneutics too, leaning more heavily on others. I think we all understand that and can accept that. But that doesn't mean the exception becomes a rule where a pastor can, for the rest of his life, rip off whole cloth the work of another. Jimmy, have you ever heard of plagiarism prior to the Internet? Absolutely. When? Why? Uh, well, how? What? <laughs> okay, so See how I interrupt you quickly? <laughs> yeah, I need to do that to you. <laughs> well, I was gifted, you know, when I was back when I was pastoring a, um, a, a lady whose father— Can we, can we just— can we just Stop for a moment. Uh huh. What's wrong? Those words. When I was pastoring. Yeah. <laughs> okay, carry on. Yeah, when I was pastoring, a, a lady who, um, whose father was also a local pastor passed away, and uh, she gifted me his library. And within that library, uh, th there were several books, three or four uh, big, thick books that were sermon outlines. And these books were published in the 60s and 70s. Now, you could use those books to understand how godly men put a text together. That's fair. After you've done your own work and outlining. But today, plagiarism being put on steroids. And on the one hand, I say thumbs down. On the other side of my mouth, I say, well, mm, supercharge your sermons with AI. That's the headline of a new website, Sermonly, sermon.ly which allows a pastor to plagiarize at hyperspeed. Write, research, plan, and share your sermons with Sermonly. Simplify research. Generate outlines, character studies, modern-day examples of biblical topics. Sermonly empowers pastors to craft compelling sermons that engage and inspire their congregation. Well, they might engage. I'm not sure how much power they're going to have. Furthermore, the pastor is the one who is the first casualty of plagiarism. He doesn't get to benefit from studying God's word intently. A pastor changes 
when he interacts with a text for 10, 12, 15, 20 hours, sometimes more. It changes a man, and you want that change in that man. Uh, uh, Robert Murray McShane, I believe, is the fellow who said, what my pastor needs most is for me to be holy. Because if he's holy, not moral, that's external, holy, internal, then you're you're going to benefit from that. So the second casualty in plagiarism is the congregation. They don't get a holy pastor. They get somebody else's thoughts, somebody else's fruit from their labors, but not their pastors. You can deliver impactful sermons with ease. In other words, this is going to make some more time in your day to do other stuff. Which brings us back to a often asked question, how important is the Sunday morning sermon? Where does it fit on the list? Counseling? Does that go before or after Sunday sermon? What about the operation of the church? What about making sure that the parking lot has really clear yellow lines to make sure that people don't door ding one another? Where where does it fit? I I would suggest to you it sits right on top The entire church week is driven by that one sermon. And AI is going to make it easier for a man to cheat, making him less godly. And the congregation will not grow either. What is this telecongregation to? Oh, all that studying, please. Make it snappy with AI. With red-only mode, you don't have to worry about accidentally editing your sermon while preaching. I don't know what that means exactly. You can set up templates to help create sermons based on your style with snippets, which is apparently a function of the sermonly. Pastors can quickly and easily add content to their sermons, saving them time and effort in the sermon writing process. In other words, you're going to see what happened in Germany. (laughs) Headline. Chat GBT delivers sermon to packed German church. <laughs> so they created, uh, I guess it would be called a chat bot. And he, this, this, this guy delivered the sermon, but it really wasn't a guy. It was pixels. Hundreds attended a Protestant church, probably Lutheran, in Germany, generated almost entirely by artificial intelligence. You know what's interesting? That if a pastor gets up and uses a sermon that was artificially written, he's doing the same thing. Doesn't make any difference. Might as well be pixels. Then the guy can sleep in. After all, he needs rest so he can do other more important things. Right? The chatbot was presented as a black man with a beard. Why bother? Why do you need to do that? Now, suddenly you're trying to humanize what is unhuman. The chatbot said, Dear friends, it's an honor for me to stand here and preach to you as the first artificial intelligence at this year's convention of Protestants in Germany. No, you're not standing there. You're nothing. You're, you're, not, you're, you're, you're nothing but wires. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not afraid of AI. At this moment, might change my tune. I'm not afraid. This, this, first of all, people were laughing because the sermon was delivered in such a monotone way that they realized that it just wasn't human. Uh, they're right, because it's not human, because human is better. Chatbot, they can say, oh, well, it, AI is going to have emotions. No, it's not. It's going to understand emotions by garnering the most popular Internet sites. So it's going to find everything about the reaction of toe stubbing and go, 
oh, I feel so much pain, but it doesn't feel pain because it can't feel pain. I'm not afraid of it. It has to be programmed and it has to be interacted with. If I don't want to use AI, it's not going to, we're sitting out on our back deck over the weekend. And because my wife was reading a book on the internet and its effects, which I will share with you later this week, but I'm not going to tell you that it was actually my wife who read it. And I'm just going to be using the highlighted sections. Hey, don't judge. Plagiarism is fine. Don't, you know. And I said, look, there goes artificial intelligence. And my wife didn't even bother to turn her head. Uh huh. And she just kept reading because artificial intelligence isn't a thing. It still has to be programmed. Who does that? Humans. Back to Germany. 300 people attended a service that lasted, it was definitely Lutheran, 40 minutes. <laughs> University of Vienna theologian. Oh, those German theologians and philosopher who is 29 years old used chatbot to craft the event. What a, what a service that must have been. I'm sure they felt so fed by that pastor. Now, having said all that, can a pastor use AI in creating a sermon? And the answer is very carefully, he can. Just like the internet. For, for instance, we have the internet where I can go. I don't need to have 40 translations on my bookshelf. I just go to the Bible gateway and boom, there's all the different translations. Very convenient. Would you say, well, you're cheating? No, you wouldn't say that. Why? Because I'm actually reading it. I'm actually engaging with it. Now, there's a slippery slope here, and we got to be careful that we don't find it and slide down it. What these sermon websites are attempting to do is just to get the pastor, just go looking for the thing that floats your boat and present it. But we can use AI. AI, to me, is nothing but a really fast search engine, at least at this point. Let's just say, for instance, I used it about two weeks ago. When Rick Warren, you thought we weren't going to talk about him anymore. When Rick Warren said that Charles Spurgeon, he and Charles Spurgeon agree on everything, well, except the role of women, what did I do? I went to AI and said, what did Charles Spurgeon think about the role of women in the church? Boink, there it is. Could I have found that myself? Not a chance. Not only that, it would have taken me days if I had his entire library reading every one of his sermons. It would have been an, a bad use of my time. So it can be used, but I think judiciously, carefully, and might I suggest after the pastor has put in the hard work himself. That's historically in homiletics, the order. You don't read the commentaries first and then go do your thing. No, you interact. You translate. Well, we've kind of given up on that. You translate the text from Hebrew or Greek. Then you interpret it. Then you create it. Now you can go read what others have to say. So AI on the one hand, can be used. On the other hand, a disaster. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.